0: June is Pride Month, which gives us a great opportunity to talk about queer visibility in the music industry, on both the artist and the executive side. Today, more than ever, with personal freedoms being rolled back by the Supreme Court, we need to amplify the voices of marginalized people, especially when they're as critical to the success of the music business as the queer community has been. Welcome to The Future of What? I'm Portia Saban, President of the Music Business Association. On today's episode, we're going to talk to Joshua Dickinson of Queer Capita about starting what is effectively an industry wide ERG, and to Sydney Christensen about doing AR as a queer person in a time when queer talent is more abundant, more visible, and more relevant than ever. It's all coming up on the future of what? Joshua Dickinson is the Senior Director of Publicity at RCA Records. Joshua, welcome to The Future of What?
1: Hey, thank you for having me, Portia.
0: Hey. So the reason we are having you here today is that you're actually on the board of Queer Capita. Yes. Can you give us a quick overview of what Queer Capita
1: is? Yes. I'm a founding member of Queer Capita, and it's um, an organization of queer everyone, um, across the music industry, those who want to be in the music industry, it's just a really sort of a resource and community that comes together, kind of like cut through that. You, you know, there's so many gatekeepers in the music industry. Mm-hmm. And as a queer person myself, sometimes that, that can be very daunting. And just trying to navigate this space in general um, is tough for anyone. But then also adding the layer of where we're queer. And there's also there's so much nuance and just different things that, you know, we're always battling ourselves and like trying to you know tackle in the industry as it is already you can just see it within music mm-hmm. but it's just meant to kind of create a safe space for you to be able to just have like natural conversation with those with similar interests in the music industry those who work in it and just to kind of be able to you know kind of t- take away that red tape in <laughs> sense and bring us together and i've done that through like networking events partnerships still exploring um even other ways that we can kind of amplify. I know one thing that we're looking to do soon, and um, which I, w- I will be a part of, is I'm actually relocating to Los Angeles this fall and look to open a LA chapter for it. Oh,
0: that's awesome! How long have you guys been doing this? When did you get it started?
1: I would say conversations last year, and then like I would say summer of last year, falls when like things started to really kind of get moving.
0: Wow. So you know, I mean, obviously, I feel like it's a little bit obvious why, you know, LGBTQ plus people need to be visible in the Mm -hmm. music industry, but just from your perspective, why is that so important?
1: Well, I think for LGBT people not to be visible in the music industry, hides the music industry, like the lack of transparency, like music is universal and it's done, created, and crafted by everyone, including uh, queer folk, Mm -hmm. Um, And for so long, queer folk in the music industry have been erased or that aspect of them has not been considered or you've had to write music with, you know, double meanings or had to hide who you're really speaking, who you're really singing about. Mm -hmm. And I think that it also shows that by there being visibility not just on artists, but visibility on queer folk in the music industry working behind the scenes, it creates a safer space for artists. I know I've had experiences where some queer artists sometimes don't feel safe on you know tour at time or or not treated the same way i say like when i have like a rapper um you know a cis heterosexual rapper that's out here is sometimes treated a little differently than like sometimes when i've been on the road or different things that i kind of encounter when it comes to like a big frida Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah yeah, so i I think it's important because it allows us to be able to protect each other and also to have our voices at at the table and heard and our where we're coming from
0: yeah it's kind of like what you're providing for uh, the industry is sort of like an ERG, which the big companies have those in employee resource group. I'm sure you guys have those at Sony.
1: We do. Um, I'm learning because I I think I started, I started at Sony at the top of May at RCA Records. Um, but prior to that, I was um, head of publicity at Warner Music Group's ADA, mm-hmm. which is more their independent label services and distro arm. Yep. So a lot of like label partners and direct with artists, which is where I got to work with Big Frida. Um, but yeah, there, there really, really one wasn't one there. There's definitely one at Sony that I've encountered, but I'm still like navigating. And I would say this has been helpful because I feel like I already have a community going into this new space.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And I didn't realize you were so new there. So that's cool. Congratulations. Thank you. So, you know, it's Pride Month and obviously people do things like this episode of this podcast during Pride Month to bring visibility, but of course we have to do stuff throughout the rest of the year. It's not like queer people only exist in June. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's good that you guys are, you know, have this organization. What have you guys got planned coming up? One of the interesting things that I saw um, on your Instagram page, which is sort of seeming to be where you guys exist pretty, you know, significantly, is that you have a job referral program. You want to talk about that? Yes,
1: absolutely. So we try to, I mean, I I think the unknown secret across all industries is that always when a job posting is up, it's usually already been up internally for a lot longer. Mm. And there's in the music industry, you know, with the gatekeeping, it's very difficult. And then I also think just from a, you never know what people are dealing with on their journey in the music industry. Mm -hmm. And I know from my own personal experiences, I ran into a lot of homophobia starting out where even like I remember being at a when I was at Cornell University they have an extern program I did with Universal Music Group through Def Jam and I was in I was this is back when I thought I wanted to be an entertainment lawyer <laughs> um, and so I was with the legal department and just had a really horrible time with the gentleman that was I was shadowing like he was just very I didn't know how to take it I just feel very very slighted <laughs> and then it got to a point where the I had a mentor who was a couple years older than me at cornell and she had did the program and he would treat her like night and day and then she and i did this kind of game where i would email him to try to set up stuff as like i was supposed to through the pro with the program and then she would email me, maybe like 10 minutes later he would never respond to me but respond to her quickly right away <sighs> eventually he was removed and all the things just thankfully the program head was as a queer woman and was able to kind of intercept but yeah, so I think the job referral program is just meant to kind of like, you know, get raise our hand and come back to our community and let them know that there are opportunities and let's come to them first because we don't know what biases they're dealing with when even just trying to get in the door, you know?
0: Right, absolutely. One thing that I think about all the time is just that, you know, I feel like the ongoing problem that we have in the music industry and most other industries is that, you know, obviously there's a gatekeep- gatekeeping issue, but there's also just this problem of the top, you know, the the folks at the top still tend to be, you know, cis white males. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think for music biz, I interviewed John Platt um, from Sony music publishing and he was very clear. He said, I am the highest ranking Black executive of a global music company, and and he's it, <laughs> you know. So, um, and it's great. I mean, we we're, we're all very grateful to have him, but but there's only one of him, and and so it's like I feel like there needs to be sort of this critical mass that we need to reach to to get people in positions of power. And I just sort of wanted your take on that, you know, from your perspective. How do you think we make the change to get that going?
1: Yeah, I think it's honestly, I think it's a mix of things. I think the music industry as well is also just evolving and needs to understand how, you know, you know like it's business prop is how they're marketing music and how they're profiting on music has to evolve. And they also need to understand how to rebuild teams and how to support and like really just kind of grow each label generally. And I feel like then they also will see, okay, this is why there's this need for this, breadth of talent when it comes to employees. I also feel like sometimes people get a little too comfortable at the top and don't know when, and just kind of stay there. It's an older generation that kind of stays in the spot for 10, 20, 15 years, which is always a little weird to me. But I think there needs to just be, I, I think there's a lot of focus on DEI below and not enough at the top. And mm-hmm. really trying to show and improve that there is a need for it. diverse talent at the top that can also impact how we work across regions too when it mm-hmm. comes to music I think it's a very nuanced situation and, not, and it can't be attacked from just one approach
0: yeah I totally I totally agree but I also think that we need to be holding people accountable when they're not mm-hmm. making you know diverse hires when they're not promoting diversely inside their companies you know I feel like that's um, something that has to change and the music industry is just really, sort of hilarious uh, for us to even be having these conversations, because when you look at our artists, they're so diverse, you know, they're just everywhere. And, and it just goes to show, it's like, you know, having the sort of traditional perspective about artists is so bananas because you're missing out, you're leaving so much money on the table, you know?
1: I agree. Yeah. And there's something that's even been, like why I see this proven of time and time again is like, Something that I've encountered just in my journey is like when you'll have teams that don't look like or even aren't even adjacent to the life experiences and lifestyle of artists that they're working on. Mm-hmm. And there's just certain blind spots that they always have and just like and they'll never and it's like you have to your, your team sort of should reflect you. It should be encompassing, like you know what I mean, all of who you are, because they have to think of all the facets of who you are when they're representing and marketing you as a brand, you as a talent, your music, etc. And I think the labels, you know, are starting to get that. Some are starting to get that, and some aren't. But I think that that's something that's it's just really truly needed. One of my most annoying things is when I would manage agencies and I'm asking for like press targets for a talent and a black talent and it's clear that you just like did not even bother to think or research and it's like, why isn't BET listed on here? Why isn't this outlet on here? Why is it, you know? You right. have TMZ and some other things and I'm like, that's not where like needs yeah. focus on. So.
0: But you know, it, I, I feel like that's what I mean by accountability, right? I feel like mm-hmm. stuff like that goes down every day in probably yes. every industry. And it's really a question of people having awareness and being able to be in positions where they can hold other people accountable and just say, listen, we can't do, you know, this may be the way we did it in the past, but we can't do it like that in the future. It doesn't make any sense. And it's not including people who, you know, their money is just as green. So I kind of like that's the part I'm just like the end of the day. You guys like money, right? Well, you know, Mm -hmm. figure it out. (laughs) There's ways to make money. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm, let's get back to Queer Capita. I am super impressed with what you guys have put together. I think it's really cool. It's really helpful for the industry. What kinds of reactions have you been getting in the last six months?
1: I would say a lot of exciting support. Um, and even just folks starting to follow the account and just actually wanting to join. I would say like it's picked up a lot more a pace of like when we're like announcing new members, which I'm excited about. And members across very, very different areas in the music industry, which is also cool because sometimes you tend to only like meet certain folks like it's like PR marketing or this like that where now it's like we're working with folks have folks who are in operations or, you know, across different areas. And I think, and and even publishing, which I think is important. One of the things that was most important to me going back to that experience I had mentioned with the externship with Def Jam was, um, and actually a black woman had taken me aside and like she saw my frustration after a few times meeting with him, and she was just like, "There are so many career careers within the music industry that people just aren't aware of, cross creative, not just um, law." And she was like, "I can sit with you and just kind of identify that." And I think it's necessary because sometimes you can't be what you can't see, mm-hmm. and and what you don't know. And so I think that even just having an organization like this, even if you know a person never joins from looking at it or just kind of. There you can see like, hey, there are various opportunities in the music industry. I see other queer people thriving, and I can do it too.
0: Awesome. That is fantastic. So what do you guys have coming up later this summer or this month?
1: We are actually looking to do another networking mixer event soon. Mm-hmm. And then we're celebrating um, Pride with the Centralland soon. Um, They'll have like a float at the Festival land district for Metaverse Pride. It's so interesting, this metaverse thing that we're in now, <laughs> <laughs> virtual <laughs> virtual events.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's very exciting. And so people should, is Instagram sort of the best place to find you guys?
1: Yes. Instagram is the perfect place. We'll put everything there. And we're pretty um, communicative and responsive on that platform. When it uh-huh. comes to any questions or someone reaches out, um, they can also tap into the link tree.
0: Excellent. At Queer Capita. Cool. Well, Joshua Dickinson, thanks so much for being with me today on The Future of What?
1: Have a this is an amazing conversation, and I must say, like your voice is very soothing. So please, thank, thank <laughs> you for this.
0: <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, thank you. Have a great day.
1: You too. Thanks.
0: You're listening to the future of what? Follow us on all platforms at Music biz Asoch, Assoc. A S S O C. To find out more about Music Biz and hear about what's coming up next. My guest today is Sydney Christensen. She is. An A&R person for the independent label, Kill Rock Stars. Sydney, welcome to the future of what?
2: Thank you so much. I was a fan of this podcast before I ever started working for Kill Rock Stars.
0: Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) That's because it's been a thousand years. This is like practically old enough to vote, this stupid podcast.
2: (laughs) Cool. I wish it would.
0: Yeah, I know, right? Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so I wanted to talk to you because... It's still Pride Month. We've got a few more days. And even though, you know, everyone should be proud f- 24, 7, 365 days a year, you know, it's always a, a nice excuse to do a an episode about um, queer visibility in the music industry. And now more than ever, I think we really... Uh, need to do this. And what I, the reason I wanted to talk to you is because you've actually been quite successful lately being uh, aware of a ton of like female, queer, trans artists. So I just wanted you to sort of talk a little bit about like the landscape of today and, and, you know, what's out there in terms of bands and artists.
2: Yeah, cool. Thank you for saying so. And thank you for noticing. I think a big part of this this conversation is really just about that it's about noticing and I think as more queer people start working in this field the visibility opens up so much the big difference between queer and cis or straight people is as far as like the the industry and what we see and what we experience what we're interested in, queer people are of course interested in the queer artists and also uh, what's a little bit more in the norm culture? We experience both. Of course, we still watch you know, the sitcom Friends, but we're also experiencing all of the queer stuff too. And it's critical to have these, to have queer people working for you and to have these voices lifted up because you can really only pay so much attention if it doesn't directly influence you. Listening to queer musicians really speaks to me and it's it's what I gravitate towards. And I think as this landscape just continues to get more queer voices and people both on the front end and the back end, you know, which is like A&R, kind of working be- behind the scenes, you get this, this queer take. You can only do so much work. You can only do so much work if you're not actively uh, influenced and affected by everything that's going on. And as a queer person, everything hits us so strongly. It really changes the whole scope. I mean, I really just lately, especially the last like six months, I dominantly pay attention to queer artists. These voices are so important. And it's not just because they speak to me and I identify so much with this community. It's also they have these things that need to be shared that we really haven't heard a lot of. It has so much gravity.
0: Yeah. And I think that what you said is really important about um, visibility on both sides, because I've in the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of talking to people about, especially you know, diversity and inclusion of you know people of color on the executive mm-hmm. side. You know, and it's it's sort of a crazy situation because if you think about the like popularity of hip hop in the music industry, and then you know maybe there's an A and R person of color, but then like the entire rest of the team is white. Yeah, you know, we we need we know we need more representation at all levels in executives and the executive side, but it's like completely true with, with queer folks as well, which is why I sort of wanted to talk to you because I think it's important that you got hired to do this job and that you're doing this job, you know, as a queer person out in the world, you know, because it's it's it helps people, you know, artists feel confident and comfortable, I think, uh, yeah. with the labels.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, First off, I feel like uh, this conversation would have been drastically different or I would have felt differently if it was recorded on, say, Wednesday of last week instead <sighs> of this week. You know, everything going on is obviously quite profound and that's a whole other can of worms. But <clears throat> for instance, in my, my job to kind of tie these couple things together, there was an interest to interview some, some artists for the ruling, the Roe versus Wade ruling. And the guy conducting the interview is when I come completely trust. He's a health, He used to be a healthcare pro- professional who would advise pregnant people on uh, different alternatives to mm-hmm. pregnancy, and he was threatened to be arrested and has been fine. He's someone that I would trust to organize an article and like a, a protest article about this, and there's the whole visibility thing. Like, I think if I wasn't the person writing to these artists to, to ask if they want to contribute, it would be different coming from a cis a cis man. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to have these people that are directly influenced. I mean, like I've had pregnancy scares, even as a queer woman, I used to, you know, experience uh, the opposite sex and these things have directly influenced me and it would be such a different conversation or artists would feel so differently if they had only cis white guys talking to them about these things of course the answer would be no and of course people wouldn't feel safe and it's so much about safety and just to know that you're in community queerness is about community and the community can only be put on so strong if the active members of the community aren't there in the first place and this is true you know not just in the queer community but all communities it's it's critical and you really feel how strong that is with these detrimental and scary weeks, I think I would feel a lot differently and for better or for worse, lighter about this topic. Like I said if it was recorded last week. But this week I've it's heavy and I notice how important these things truly, truly are. Visibility being these things. Yeah. So there's a there's a heavy topic, but it's ongoing and kind of has to be addressed, I guess. Well and I think
0: the word that you brought up that's important and that is safety because I've been thinking a lot about that lately. You know, the the issue with white male patriarchy, or any any type of um, situation where one group is is the unmarked category and the other group is the marked category, which is a linguistics term, is that the unmarked category they don't feel unsafe. So they don't mm-hmm. feel like your feeling unsafe is is legitimate because they're like I'm completely safe. This I don't I don't have a problem with this. It's very difficult to convince somebody else that you feel unsafe. But I feel like you know um, whenever we talk about, for example, women in the music industry and you know underrepresentation, we get into you know the absolutely pathetic statistics about producers and engineers. You know, 2% of women, yeah. you know, were producers and engineers on like the top 100 Billboard songs. And, you know, to me, that's a an issue where safety is just completely obvious. Like when you walk into a studio as a woman, you're immediately less safe. And it's because it's a private space where, you know, usually some white guy is in control, you know, and, and mm-hmm. there isn't a lot of... um there aren't a lot of things that, that you can do about it. You know, you have to, so, so I think how that speaks to this conversation is, you know, people have to remember that we're asking artists to put to, you know, if you want, we're saying artists, if you want to have a career in this industry, you have to put yourself into unsafe situations in order to make Mm -hmm. it happen, you know? And so when we can reduce that feeling of danger uh, a little bit by, by having gatekeepers that, you know, connect with folks on a multiplicity of levels that's only positive for the industry as a whole
2: yeah yeah exactly um this is kind of a segue a different branch of this conversation but there's this statistic that my partner and I keep talking about it's almost comical because it's just so silly and like of course this is how uh the majority view the minority but there's this stat where so whether you're a POC in a white classroom, or you're a queer person in a mostly straight classroom, the majority will say it's equal, in air quotes, equal, 50, 50, if there are like two people out of, you know, 15. And it's like, yes, it's equal. Yes, there are, it's equal parts queer or it's equal parts POC. And it's like, no, there are two people. But you feel like just because there are a couple, you you think it's equal, but it's so unequal. And it's just, it's it's wild to see when these tests or these questions are brought up to the majority, how their perspective is skewed, whereas if you were to ask a queer person or a person of color the ratio, they would be like, I was one of the the two people in the classroom. Right. But on the majority side, it's like, yes, it's equal.
0: You're like, oh, look, representation. There's one <laughs> of you or two. Of yep. you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have achieved representation. I love that my favorite quote on that is um, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg was asked, how many women will you, you know, you'll be happy when there are how many women on the Supreme Court? And she said nine. Nice. You know, and the person Uh was like, horrified. But it's like, you know, we have had 150 years of nine white guys. You know, why is it so shocking? We have (laughs) nine women. Anyway, so, you know, timing aside, because this is rather a rough moment that we're all going through in history with these Supreme Court judgments, how are you feeling in terms of just the population of talent that's out there because I feel like that's been the really excellent part of the last 20 years or so is is it's like we mm-hmm. just are having more and more amazing artists come up who are queer, who are trans, who are you know non- cis, white, heteronormative, whatever and it's just so exciting because it's like, you know, that just deepens the pool for everybody
2: it's so exciting oh my goodness it's so exciting i've been thinking about this prompt a lot during pride month or like uh, why does it feel so different this year as it did like 10 years ago as far as representation goes and it, it seems to me related to the snowball effect where let's scale back to the 1970s just for instance and it was a very niche community that were comfortable enough to say that they were out. And then, you know, you jump forward 10 years, 10 years, and it just, the snowball keeps going faster and faster. I came out, I sort of didn't really come out, but uh, when I was like a senior in high school, and I'm 25 now, so that hasn't been a whole, that's not a huge span of time, but I feel like I can't even compare it to where I was in high school. I think there is, the the community keeps expanding. It's no longer shameful to post a pride flag on your Instagram. Let's talk about social media really quick. But, like, I remember it kind of feeling shameful to say that you were going to Pride. But I have to, on record, I'm from Utah. So (laughs) that's, (laughs) I know that's a little different than, like, Portland, Oregon. Um, But it was shameful for, like, even mothers to post a pride flag for their kid or something and it was so few and far between to have that sort of outward community and I know it gets I don't know if we can swear on your podcast Uh, there's so much crap for like all these brands branding pride absolutely but it's also there's this other side to it where people finally feel brave enough to express where they stand with the community this is this is new and this is so exciting and this is why we hear all of these different voices because we can finally come out and i know not everybody can come out and that's very troublesome and i dream of a day that we all comfortably can but even five years ago you would be terrified to tell your your mom and some people still are but like there's just a huge community that accepts and not only accepts like they're neutral switzerland or something but outwardly expresses this support and that speaks to these to every generation and it makes it way more comfortable to create art. You want to be comfortable with yourself to create art or at least feel comfortable enough to explore. And I am so glad that it's changed at least a little bit or a lot in the last five years. But anyway, to scale it way back, it just feels like a snowball effect. And we've just been creating this momentum for decades and decades. And you can kind of see all of the history with right now, where it started from, where it is now, and it's it's really exciting. I'm so looking forward to the next five years too. So many incredible queer artists. It's endless. I really feel like it's endless, and it's pretty exciting. Doing yes. all sorts of stuff too. It's not just one genre. There's queer country now. Hell yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> queer country, exactly. Yes, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's so much going on. There's even I mean, there's even queer hip hop. You know, yeah. It's it's like things have really definitely changed i mean certainly in my life in my lifetime it has so but it's also you know uh, kill rock stars is an interesting case in point you know everyone listening Mm -hmm. to this knows that i ran the label for 13 years so it's not like this is a this is sort of an in the family conversation but you know my husband was a a cis white guy and even though he's been a big feminist and very queer friendly since the very beginning in 91 i think it makes a huge difference that he's hired you to do a and r for the label yeah. you know I mean that that's a that's a different that's important you know it's an important step it's it's like it's great you know he did great work and he he signed great bands and and that's wonderful but it's also really important that he gives you know a queer female executive uh, an opportunity and a platform to you know sign bands so yeah. I think that that's really really great
2: and I know I'm I'm pretty fortunate to have such a boss, um, he just continuously hopes that I will send him music, and to have <laughs> that sort of encouragement behind me from a cis dude is incredible. Oh my goodness, I couldn't, I really, it's like what I could only dream of as a baby, baby gay. <laughs> Seriously, it's like, it's a dream to have this. To have Slim Moon ask me, who are you listening to? Who is good? And I'm like, that person is terrible, someone that he sends. And he's like, yeah, word, okay. And then I send him (laughs) queer people, and he's really excited about the queer people, and he listens. So that, you know, the door opens wider to just, it's not, it it is so much about the the queer people in the workforce, but it's also the people behind them. And we can only hope that the people behind them, too, are supportive. It takes, it's a whole spider web. Everything is so connected. And even to have you... Um, have me talk on this is critical. It's about keeping this door open and making sure these conversations keep happening.
0: Yep, and that people know that these you know this is what's going on. I I think sometimes when change happens but we don't see it, it's we don't we you know people can feel really hopeless because they're like well there isn't any obvious change but there is it's just maybe it's behind the scenes.
2: Yeah, totally. There is a lot of change. Yay, and it's very exciting.
0: <laughs> Well, Sydney Christensen, I appreciate you and thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What?
2: Thank you. I appreciate you back. See you.
0: Bye. And that's our show. Our theme song is Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five and is played by permission. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Today's show was engineered by Hayden Nash and Clark Buckner at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. And was produced by Dana Rogers and Henrik Beck. I'm Portia Sabin, president of the Music Business Association. See you next time. Can I have a taste of your ice?